0: there, Shoppamaniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Bubblechart Rupert, and with me is
1: Chris Coropleth coyer Hey, Chris, how are you? <laughs> Fantastic. I was I was kind of hoping for pie chart, but you went with something a little more esoteric. It's fine. Well, I ju- it had the C. It was for the uh, uh, alliteration. I see. Yeah. I'm big on that too. So we're gonna uh, 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 surprise, surprise, do a show that's all about data viz. I don't think we've ever done this before. It's a big topic that kind of is, I don't know, tangential to the stuff that we normally talk about, which is front end web design and development. But but never have we dug into um, to, to to data visualization specifically. And we have two kind of perfect guests to, I don't know, that we can sprinkle questions at and tell us what they do and why it matters and why they care about. It. Guest number one. Ben Klinkenbeard. Hey, Ben. How you doing? Hello. I feel like I'm on a game show. Did I get it right? Is Klinkenbeard? Yeah, it's exactly
2: exactly right. It's exactly how it's spelled. It's really not hard. Yeah, it
1: feels dwarven. (laughs) I quite like it. Uh, Ben, what's up? What do you do? How are (laughs) you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. I am an independent uh, software consultant. Um, I've been writing software professionally for... I guess about 16 years now. Uh, for the last about three and a half, I've been independent. So I just do direct consulting with various clients. And uh-huh. sort of through dumb luck, a lot of my uh, projects over the years have been around data visualization. So I sort of built up a lot of experience with it and decided to start teaching it.
1: Yeah, that's great. Ben's, ben has, of course, learned D3JS in five days. We'll have a link to that in the, in the show notes, but that's pretty appealing, huh? Pretty quick turnaround on that
2: course. <laughs> yeah, in and out, quick.
1: Yep. It's a freebie, too, So, but I imagine you have some other courseware stuff. Maybe we'll get into that pretty soon here, but we have another guest, uh, Elijah Meeks. Hey, Elijah.
3: Hey, guys. How are you doing?
1: Uh, uh, fantastic. and And also deep in this world of data viz, it seems like you're a senior data visualization engineer at... Everybody's favorite company, Netflix.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's correct. That's correct. I like that you're a <laughs> choropleth, that you're Chris Choropleth, Coyier. I was hoping it would be chloropleth, which is a famous uh, misspelling for like uh, maps that have chlorophyll, I guess. I don't know.
1: Um, I need to look up a chlorophyll. Oh, so it's a, It's one of those like, it's like a colorized map? Is no, right? it's is just a
3: misspelling of choropleth. Like, oh. If you go C H L O R O P E and just go search for that. You'll see a lot of chloropleth maps. <laughs> oh, you will indeed. Yeah. Go- Google fixes it for there you. There you go. So, yeah, I'm a senior data visualization engineer at Netflix. I uh, work in the science and analytics part of Netflix where we build um, big analytical applications. So your, your everyday dashboards but also... Prototypes and and visualizations of algorithm performance, visualizations of flow through the site, visualizations of uh, of all sorts of fun stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting.
0: I can't imagine Netflix having any useful data um, <laughs> or any
3: kind of scale to have a bunch of data. No, how uh, do you even manage to, to dig up advice,
1: any data?
3: Yeah, that's the real challenge: is finding data at Netflix. Most of my job is just asking people questions. Yeah. And entering it into a spreadsheet, and then uh, and then uh, you yeah. know once a month I get to visualize it, which is kind of cool.
1: How many bubbly waters did you drink today? You know, and then you write it down. And...
0: <laughs> Your job is standing by the refrigerator and marking everybody's
1: uh, drink choice. No, of course we're kidding. I'm sure Netflix is absolutely swimming in data, and I imagine most of us imagine a job at Netflix is like looking at charts. <laughs> That's what I. Think it looks like. I mean, there must you must have absolutely millions of them. You also are uh, um, an author and r- have written about this subject of viz, data viz in a way. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's right. I've uh, I've just published the second edition of D3 JS in Action, which is a Manning book. It's a traditional sort of technical uh, deep dive into D3. tries to also give you some best practices. The second edition also gives you a, a bit more about design and about um, oh, more yeah. modern coding, so like there's a there's a chapter on D3 plus React and stuff like that. Um, the first oh, edition, yeah, the first edition was much more like use D3 for everything. Here's a chapter on building your own CMS and with D3 and like it was
1: <laughs> you <laughs> a know CMS it, really. It. Well,
3: I mean you could right, you could replace Close. jQuery with D3 and let it do all the enter yeah. and exit stuff, but with HTML instead of SVG, it's crazy. I, I don't know what I was thinking back then. So I got rid How of that.
1: Years in between were the books.
3: Uh, two, I believe. Yeah, two.
1: That's cool. And so, yeah, it looks like you'd 6 sixed it all too. And so, it was kind of it was quite a two years there. A lot of stuff changed.
3: Oh, right. That was the famous JavaScript fatigue year that apparently we are all still PTSD from. Right. Where mm, everybody's still worried that all of the that all of the the frameworks are going to go away or something, and everything's changing every month or or whatever, which was, seemed like what it was. And what was that? Twenty sixteen.
1: Okay. So so both of you know d3 quite well it seems to be absolutely the big player in data viz and stuff why is that what can maybe ben take it first what what is what the heck is d3 and why is it such a big player in this world like give us the intro here
2: d3 so yeah so d3 uh stands for data-driven documents and it sort of tries to take that approach when you use it in that you're really focused on transforming from like your raw data into markup for your document um, in terms of why it's popular. So I previ- in a previous life, I was a Adobe flex developer and in like late 2011, Adobe flex was essentially officially killed off. And so I had to move over to JavaScript world Um, and at that time in 2012, D three was sort of the only option, uh, that I found that was, you know, sort of covered all the bases. Wasn't just like, here's how you plop a a bar chart on your page. Um, Adobe flex had the best charts. I I will go on saying that they did have
0: a good charting library. That's, that's good. I had a friend who tried to convince me to quit my job at my company and like join his flex uh, startup basically oh. like,
2: like flex only all because it was like, this is the future of, of websites. I, I won't ask you his name on the podcast, but let's talk afterwards. Cause I probably knew that person. <laughs> it oh, yeah, that, It wasn't that big of a community.
0: Yeah, no, it was, it was very, uh, it, it was very compelling. Like if you, I think the quintessential one was like mint.com, right. Where you mm-hmm. had your budget and you drilled into all your different, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, money funnels.
2: Yes. I I had very many projects that were like, you know, sort of like mint. It was like, Just okay, mint. I get it. Oh, uh, cool. I see. But So you found
0: D three to be the only kind of, I guess, mature alternative.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, I, I don't remember the details of, of how exhaustive my search was, but I know that in sort of setting out to find like, okay, how do I do data visualization in JavaScript? that was what I sort of landed on. And as I started reading it, you know, it it made a lot of sense. I I could see all the examples. Um, That's, I think that's one of the reasons it has always been super popular is if, is if you go to the D three site and go to the examples link, I mean, it's like walls and walls of examples and most of them you can even click through and get to the source. And so I feel like that has made it pretty popular because somebody can go to the site and be like, Oh yeah, that's basically what I want. Click through, see the code and then start tinkering and that's sort of you know now they're hooked um and just you know anytime you are not gonna stick to the basic charts i always worry that a library isn't gonna sort of meet my needs and so i would rather just build uh, it from scratch from the get-go one of the questions i have
1: that. is i think of data viz as like the ver- oh, the chart the charts the basic charts I don't know, but, but obviously you go to the D3 homepage and and, and and it's anything but, you know. There isn't just like, here's pie chart, here's bar chart. It's like, here's some weird squiggly worms floating <laughs> through space and here you know, hexagons and all kinds of of weird stuff. So is that maybe one of the compelling choices that if you kind of go D3 that you're not going to be limited by the – is that what you saying? you're saying? And not going to be limited by some other data viz libraries. Yeah. Choices. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there there's plenty of good choices out there for for those scenarios where it's like I just need some charts. You know, I need a bar chart and scatter plot and this and that. In those cases, I would absolutely not fault anybody for picking something off the shelf. But if you're sort of setting off on a longer term project and you know that it's going to be. You know, it's going to go beyond a cookie cutter bar chart. Then it probably makes sense to invest up front rather than waiting till you, you know, get six months into the project. The designer sends something over, and you're like, "Ooh, I don't know if we can do that." Uh, that's that's not a fun conversation to have.
1: So, Elijah, you you have a book on it too. It's so th- is that is it is there some failing of the the D three documentation or like like w- w- why does it need some i've like courses and books and and, and learning and stuff is it's is it kind of a low level of enough thing that people need a hand
3: well yeah i think that um so i mean bostock who who wrote it he referred to it as sort of like the data visualization kernel it is low level enough it does have some aspects to it especially the uh the data binding and the enter-exit update uh, stuff that, that throws people off. But I think that the main reason why there's so much tutorials, there's so many books about it, is that D3 is sort of like a stand-in for data visualization more generically. So it's not like you go to school and you really learn how to do data visualization. If you're lucky, you go to some school where there's where there's one CS course on it. And so when it comes to, like, if you're actually interested, if, if it's not just, hey, I need to put a bar chart in this by the end of the day. But, you know, you start to think about, wow, visual communication, this is interesting. I read a book by Tufty. I want to actually think about this. The only place to really do that is um, – is is is. In this conversation, this sort of ongoing conversation with all these practitioners. And while there are, you know, there's like P5 out there with processing, there's um, there's not much else out there where people are actually sort of pushing the boundaries and thinking about, hey, I've got this data. It's got these kind of attributes. Um, how could I, you know... Bind those attributes to graphical elements, and so I think the reason why you see so much conversation and and education around D three partly it is understanding you know the sort of mapping of Mike Bostock's brain and and figuring out this API which is expansive and and complicated. But I think a large part of it is just it really is the only way to to sort of learn about and think about really in a deeply uh, uh, technical sense you know this this actual concept of data visualization is it? it's two
1: things at once right it's learning like technology and what the apis are and how to draw a circle and how to move over here and I, I don't know connect nodes i don't know what it is but there's a million api things that you need to know so it's just like you're learning something technical and how to pull off that technical thing but then you're learning like science also like i have this weird data set what how, how can there's a there's a lot more bad ways to demonstrate that data than good ways, right?
3: <laughs> that's right. And that's, you know, and that's what you see when you, when you um, like you were describing, right, these squiggly lines. And you see a lot of people who love data visualization or are really sort of enamored of the library. And they go out and they clone an example like Ben's talking about. And they sort of mash their data set into it because they wanted to see these cool squiggly lines. And you as a reader say, well, that's kind of graphically impressive. It's weird and complicated, but it doesn't actually communicate to me. And so, yeah, there's this technical challenge. And even though I think like when you're building UIs, I know that that's also a, a design challenge. But I think we're a lot more mature when it comes to UX and UI and HCI. When it comes to data visualization, you know, there's not as much sort of accepted knowledge beyond bar charts, pie charts, line charts, and, and scatter plots. And so everybody kind of feels like they can go in and play around with it. And the only way you can understand really what's going on and sort of better understand maybe that this squiggly line chart wasn't the right way to go, but maybe this, this chart full of rectangles is the way to go, is uh, if you really start reading it and think there even some danger
1: there that if I pick the wrong, like I can look at a chart that's one way, this, you know, some overlapping bar charts or something and try to extract some business intelligence from that. Be like, oh, look, when this thing goes up, this other thing goes up. But then if I switch the data visualization to totally some other format that I might analyze that chart differently, the same piece of data, that makes me scared.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, to Elijah's point that people have trouble sort of going from basic chart to whatever this sort of fancy chart should be, they also have a lot of trouble a lot of times picking between those basics, right? Like I've seen so many pie charts used where a pie chart was not the right choice. You know, it's unless you're trying to show sort of the proportion of items in a set to one another, then a pie chart probably isn't the right, the right thing. Right. But you'll see pie charts all the time that have nothing to do with that. And so there definitely is that sort of double sided challenge of, learning sort of what I always think of as like the art and science of, of data visualization or, or more of the academic side of visualization. And then there is, okay, how do I use D3 JS? And so those are sort of the two sides of the coin. I feel like in, in learning it.
1: Yeah. It's so it's, it's fascinating. So are the, are they, do you find that they're generally taught together? Is it like the responsible thing to do to teach them together? (laughs) Uh,
2: I, I do not find that they are taught together. Um, which I don't I don't think is necessarily a bad thing because you're always going to have people that you know already know one of them and they just need the other thing, um, but there probably should be a little more, um, you know, sort of coaxing people towards that academic side from these other more more technical materials.
1: Doesn't always have to be so technical, right? Just just last night I I had a data visualization challenge with my wife where we have a. Um we wanted the concept of a swear jar for, we have a, you know, a baby that's starting to learn what we say. So we have to start watching our mouths <laughs> at home when we're taking care of the baby. So she's, we have a like a, a board on the fridge. And so we're just like, well, I'll be red and you be green and we'll just check off, you know, the f- things and I was like how are we going to visualize this though? little checks, you know, what if it gets too many we won't be able to see it. So we ended up going with two glasses on the table in which we put dominoes in. And the, the higher the dominoes in the glass, the more obvious. I don't know if we made the right choice or not here, but maybe we'll <laughs> use D3
2: ultimately. I think yeah, that's right. a question for Elijah how to to, to visualize visualize swearing
3: Um, so like fundamentally so okay look I'm going to geek out on this for a second because because you said several things is your baby a boy or a girl?
1: a girl, ruby A girl.
3: okay well then you're good with the red green because um, almost no women have red green colorblind so it could have been that like if it was a boy there was a reasonable chance that that boy would look up at the fridge and be like oh look gray is beating gray Um, or not really gray but like a brownish yellowish kind of thing right? Um, the other side of it is when you say like dominoes and you want to have the dominoes stack on each other in a jar. Well, there are methods. There are methods that use sort of like force and collision to stack things so that you can see magnitude based on stacks. So, like the fundamentally what's called a beeswarm plot is basically your uh, is or anything like that. Any of these sort of bubble plots is basically your dominoes in a jar. So you're on your way. You just have to replace the individual circles with some kind of like. Um, you know icon of a domino piece yeah is it an yeah. individual domino is that like you're, you're also going to need one of those fridges
1: yeah they don't they don't stack in the glass very well it's tricky we almost should have used marble yeah scissors.
3: but the circles don't stack in these charts very well either and so there's a bit of a mm-hmm. visual occlusion in those charts too that people, what I'm worried
1: about is that it's going to be like 43 to 47, and it's not going to be very clear. You know? well, see, so but we need but to,
3: here's the point. Here's the point of using a chart like that where it's actually perfectly acceptable. Because if it's 43 to 47, then you're roughly the same. And it's not like you're going to win or lose by one. Like according to yeah, the yeah. baby, like if your actual goal is to decrease the amount of swearing, then that's fundamentally you're swearing the same amount. Now, if your goal is to beat your wife, is to is to win in this competition and you can win by just one point then yeah you're going to need a more accurate uh, uh, data visualization. Yeah. but what I'm trying to do by sort of getting real pedantic with it is to point out that like what we're talking about here is isn't a uh, A solution. It's not like you can go into these charts and look at these charts and say, "Well, which one?" and run perf tests on it and say, "Which one's faster?" Okay, I'm taking the bar chart. In fact, it Mm -hmm. depends on your audience. It depends on your goals. And the only way you can really make that decision is if you understand the data set, understand what's available for mapping variables to visual elements, and also understand how that's going to be read, and you know, who's going to interpret that with your with your audience.
1: This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Full Story. Full Story is uh, session replay software that makes finding and fixing bugs a cinch so uh, uh, no need to like have a customer reproduce them or shoot their own video or something kind of sort of awkward like that even though those can be super useful for finding bugs this is how it works with FullStory. You install it on your website it's incredibly easy to install uh, and it start, it's kind of like a DVR for, <laughs> for your website in a way. You are like literally can watch session replay of it and it's not video it's like a recording of the DOM. You're literally watching exactly what's happening uh, on your user's site. So let's say a bug happens, you're notified of the bug, you watch it, and then you're you know, you're know literally seeing exactly their environment and what's going on, and you can pop up in the console and see what error was triggered or what the heck happened to them, what they saw as a user of your website. It couldn't possibly be a better situation for like seeing through your customer's eyes, seeing exactly what's wrong. So you can fix it. Uh, uh, there's a story here from Dan D, the, uh, 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 the thread up VP of Engineering, who said they f- used Full Story super quickly, found a bug that's been stumping his team for a week. Oh my God, I've been there. I know. I know what it's like, Dan, who said, you know, they hadn't even thought to use Full Story, but they, you know, used a trial of Full Story, got it integrated, figured out exactly what was wrong, fixed it. So pretty cool. So you can get a 30 day free trial of Full Story, no credit card required. Go to Full story dot com slash shop talk check it out very cool
0: yeah this like I, i've i been thinking like you know if i had a spreadsheet with 30 rows of data <laughs> i could almost screenshot that in my brain and be like i got it i it's figured out but you know if it gets to 60 100 maybe i could still kind of give somebody a gist of what's in that data set but now if you're on the like the, the Netflix scale, millions, uh, hundreds of millions, um, that now it's like a huge issue, right? Like you have, uh, there's no way to like sit down at a spreadsheet and look at all this stuff. So you need to introduce that like visual element, right? The, the kind of visual conveyance, I guess my question is how we're kind of getting into it, but how, what are, what are the ways you kind of vet the data? Is it, is it looking at, uh, what data goes in, and you kind of have an idea of what chart you should match that up with? How do you kind of I guess match data to charts?
2: um i'll I'll defer most of this to Elijah, but i'll I'll just preface it by saying you definitely spend a decent amount of your time dealing with just the data and either sort of massaging it from one shape to another um uh, you know maybe your back end maybe you don't have control over the back end and you need to sort of manipulate it a little bit before you send it along to visualize um or you know maybe the data is just sort of dirty and you need to go through and clean up bad fields and things like that so i mean there's there's a whole host of things that happen before you get to like okay now let's make a a, a chart that conveys useful information
1: mm, i didn't even think about that but yeah that's how uh, i can imagine that's a whole <laughs> it almost feels like a different skill set you know but it's but it's not cuz it's all related i guess so there's I mean, a I'm, lot I'm, you got a course elijah's got a book i've you know met a kid the other day on a on a bus that was like oh, i'm into computers i'm taking a class at university that's all d3 i'm really getting into it and i was like oh man you know the universities teach this stuff there's a lot there's like a lot of education around this it seems like like it, like at, at a glance, like it's a topic that c- classes pick, and so it seems like there's as much of this as there is front end development, or you know, it's like it seems, so, so Chris, seems wild. I want to turn me. this yeah. around
3: on you then, okay? Yeah. Um, okay. How many podcast episodes have you had? 309. This'll be 309. Right. So, why do you think it is that this has been such a blind spot for you then? Like, I mean, data visualization is there. It's, it's super powerful. We have, a, we have a bunch of people who, you know, I mean, it, it, there's, it's, it's an expensive skill, right? And yet, like, I notice with front-end developers that they kind of look at data visualization and they're kind of like, okay, like, I need a technical solution here. I'm spending most of the, my, my brain power on figuring out how to, how to rewrite my build process for the 14th time or, you know, how to whatever in, in view right. or react. Um, and then they kind of come over to data visualization and say, "Now this is easy. Just give me, just give me the chart. Just give me the bar chart. Just tell me which one I'm supposed to use." Instead of it yeah. being this sort of field of innovation. I mean, one of the things that, like, I've asked you this question. Now I'm going to just keep talking. But no, but, it's, it. but it's something that really has. It's something that I can't answer because I'm too deeply in. Like this weird sub-community of data visualization, but I haven't understood why D3 is the only like, serious library out there dealing with it. Why there's not like this fervent kind of argument and debate like we see in the rest of the JavaScript community. And also innovation um, in in data visualization techniques and all these kind of things like we see with well, you know, like I said, throughout the JavaScript community. To me, that's really surprising given, you know, no pun intended, the visibility of data visualization in front-end development.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a can of worms, it seems like. I bet there's accessibility people out there that kind of feel the same way. Well, why is this Why is this always kind of a side item? Why isn't there more tooling? Why don't people take this more seriously kind of thing? And there's probably a couple of different fields that that fall into that bucket, yeah. World developers will spend all day and moving their build process to <laughs> some new tool, but not take this more seriously. <sighs> I, I don't know how to follow it up necessarily, but it's uh, it sounds like there's room in that world for more for more stuff. I, I'll tell you, what, I I worked with somebody who made some charts for us at CodePen recently, and they were a uh, I, I guess they would call themselves a data viz person, but they were more—they more, more build themselves as like business intelligence or a data scientist, and they were into the gathering and analysis of data more so. That's what they would talk about, and then of course this chart stuff was just how they arrived at their conclusions. It was just a tool as part of their journey, but what they really promised is like let me look at your business data and I can bring ideas to that. I can, I can understand your business better than you can by looking at your data because we were just, you know, we're ignorant almost. I mean, we run the business, but I don't understand the business. <laughs> you know, I'm not mm-hmm. like a data scientist could. Did
2: they deliver on their promise? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome.
1: In interesting ways, you know, And, and then and then it turns out that you're like, yeah, that would be interesting. You know, like, people like that are very 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 expensive. Yeah. Uh so interesting, you know, if there's anybody out there listening that's trying to pick a career, if you can uh if you can make that promise to businesses and deliver that promise, you're a valuable human being.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can you can be super expensive, but if you give a business an insight that, you know, saves them 300 grand a year and whatever, they're yeah. they're happy to pay you handsomely. <laughs>
1: Right, you can you can flip some switches here and there that do it, and then and then once the flips are switched, you you can deliver ongoing value through. I don't know if this is the answer, but we can test it, and then and because we are collecting the data and can look at the data in these very useful ways, that we can run an experiment, and if the experiment, you know will know the will know very accurately the results of that experiment is that is that experimentation stuff is part of this world isn't it
2: yeah, I would think so i mean i i I think it still sort of goes back to being that two sided thing where I feel like the person that you're talking about um you know they it sounds like they're very very strong on that analytical side of you know understanding the data and relationships and probably they have a lot of statistical knowledge and things like that and then there's the building of the visualization. And if you can do both of those things, great, but you could also specialize in either, either, or, um, on, on that thing, I think. And, you know, that's, that's how you (laughs) become in demand. I guess I was going to say before, you know, for, for as much, um, sort of lack of people doing this and and knowledge of this, I sure see D three listed on job postings, like, super often and have personally gotten two or three different projects specifically because they were looking for somebody with D three experience. And you know, cool. that gave me a leg up. So it's, it's definitely something that I think companies and places are starting to realize is something that they need and there's not a whole lot of supply yet. So,
0: so I guess, do I, do to to be a D um a D three guy or girl, uh, do I need to be a data scientist first, or do I need to be a JavaScript developer first?
2: Uh, to be a D three person, you need to be a JavaScript person first. Basically, if you know HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and maybe a little bit of SVG, then you're you have everything that you need to start learning D three itself.
0: Okay, and then once I and then. We haven't really talked about like the D3 API. I feel like every time I get into it, it's like, um, okay, cool. I'll just make my data kind of look like this. And then the chart will take over. Is that sort of the same? I I mean, or do you kind of mentioned like you spend a lot of time making your data the, the right format? Is that right?
2: I mean, you certainly can. It, it it just all depends on the situation. You know, if you're dealing with um like a bunch of survey data, survey response data, you may have a lot of cleanup to do if, you know, you had uh like open entry fields where people could just type and things like that. Or if, you know, maybe the form validation was screwed up. And so some people didn't select as many things in one section or whatever the case may be, you could have data that needs a lot of that cleanup. But at the same time, you could also have you know very simple data, and it's you're fine, and you don't need to really do that step. I think that's just going to vary from project to project, organization to organization, and you know it's hard to predict if you're going to need that or not.
1: So we, I talked a little bit about one of the reasons you might be valuable and use this skill set is like the you know understanding your business and business intelligence stuff. But there's plenty of other worlds in which data biz resides, right? It, sometimes I think of it. In relationship to journalism, and that there's people trying to, you know, a journalist's job to help the public understand something. So they do it through data visualization in whatever medium they're in. Do you find that to be kind of big business or a side thing? Or do you, do, have you ever taken on journalism side projects?
2: Um, I I have not personally, but I've I've worked with people who sort of work in that space and have worked in that space. Um, I mean, data journalism is is definitely sort of one of those new jobs, I feel like that didn't exist really even 10 years ago. And is really starting to, to catch on, you know, probably everybody has seen the New York Times graphics, they have amazing visualizations. Uh, Mike Bostock, the creator of D3, used to work there. They have a bunch of other really, really great people. Um, I mean, 538, you know, they're basically a data journalism company. That's essentially what they do. Um, so it's definitely an area that is really exploding, I feel like.
3: And to add to that, Ben's talking about sort of these news organizations that have their own internal graphics editors who are... Who are- you know, uh-huh. D3 programmers, or are working directly with people who are who are programming. And they're actually doing a lot of this, like really custom D3, like you would see on um, on blocks, or or you know, in in sort of uh, the examples I'm sure that Ben has in his in his uh, workshops, and that I've got in my book. But um, there's also a growing uh, opportunity for freelancers to write these uh, articles. So if you are, have heard of Shirley Wu, Nadi Bremer. Um, they wrote the the homelessness expose, or they did the, the uh, data visualization components of it for The Guardian. Um, Shirley did this great uh, data visualization essay about Hamilton that was published on Pudding. And so if you go look at Pudding, it's got a bunch of these kinds of essays. And um, as far as sort of opportunities, you know, freelancers are doing more and more of what we would, Think of as data journalism outside of journalism, and so like Google News Lab, I believe, has been doing this project where Alberto Cairo acts as editor for a bunch of freelancers doing all sorts of different uh, uh, views into Google's data that they, you know, that they're hoping acts as kind of a, a publicity piece to convince people to use their their data. <laughs>
1: This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Pork Bun, where you can get website domain names for your business or personal brand with the lowest prices and amazing free services. So here's one they sell. This is about the best deal you can get on a domain name, .design. Literally like so, not .com or .net or the normal ones. You know, there's lots of TLDs these days, top level domains. Dot design is one of them and lots of people use them. You know, there's Facebook Uber.design, design, uber design, npr.design, so many of them. Airbnb.design. Uh, uh you can get one for literally free, so that's a pretty good deal. And it's not just like free just for the thing and they hook you into it. You get the email address, you get an SSL certificate, you get the whole nine yards for free. Go to porkbun.com, use the coupon code SHOPTALK and checkout to get your free .design domain name. It's just so cool. You know, For there's the uh, there really is a problem with not that many great dot-coms left. If you really need a dot-com, you gotta go weird with it and uh, and whatnot. But it's so great that there's so many of these TLDs that have opened up so this land grab crap is over. Dot-design is a great one. I'm a big fan of, of having one. A uh, 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 codepen.io, for example. Did you forget the dot-com. You know, get a cool TLD. It's, Google doesn't care. You know, I don't know. I just think it's great. Go to porkbun.com, get a Absolutely free.design1 by using coupon code SHOPTALK at checkout. Fantastic. I, I wonder if we could look at the API a little bit. I mean, we I'm sure there's way more than we can talk about easier. But f- f- from a couple's perspectives, one of them is that I think Ben mentioned that, that D3 is uh, perhaps easier to learn than you might think it is. And one is we we talked about jQuery a little bit. Just yeah. it came up passingly. Is it there are some similarities there in a bit? It's kind of like select something, do something. Is there yeah. some of that going it, on? It
3: is, and I think that I think that you know it, these when D three was really growing up, it was it was in that period, right? It's like a boil the ocean kind of library that might split up in V four, but it is this select some things, bind some data to those things and do some things to it and then come back to that selection and maybe you update it and animate it. I think to get back to Dave's point where he says, you know, he he just like a, a an initial look into the library what I like to point out to people is that they probably come to D3 thinking that there's like a D3 pie chart function. And I go hit D3 pie chart and it comes back with a pie chart. I'm like, cool, pie chart. Except there isn't. D3 has a pie function which takes an array of data and it formats that array of data with drawing instructions that you then have to pass to a D3 arc shape function which allows you to draw those arcs. And you're like, wait a minute, what the, what's going on here, right? Because and like if you want to adjust the color, you're going to have to pass that to some color scale function. And everything's sort of sectioned off into these into these small atomic functions so that there isn't this you know, D3 dot give me a chart with a legend, and it comes back with a chart and a legend. And the reason for that is because if you look at charts, um, they can be decomposed into elements that allow you to build other kinds of charts. So if you think of like a classic bar chart, right, there's there's four rectangles. This is so great to do on a podcast. There's four rectangles, and those rectangles, you know, can show a bunch of val uh, you could be showing a lot of different data sets now that said, if you were to add some graphical mark that connected the rectangles, then that becomes like a funnel diagram right so what d three gives you is it gives you the drawing instructions and the the how you would like create shapes from those drawing instructions in different places, because then you could mix and match them. So you might say, well, I've got my network diagram, but I don't want the, the, the actual nodes on the network to be circles. I want them to be images of these people's faces. And I want the connections to them. I don't want them to just be straight lines. I want them to be this, like, arrow that I want to generate with this path generator over here. And so, in D3, you can pull out little pieces and put in little pieces and just adjust things or write your own and mm. it's all really clean and really and and you know and allows you to take charts and subtly modify them or take charts where you process the I've done this a bunch of times. You process the data in a way that you would think of was suitable for one kind of chart, but you actually display it in a very different kind of chart. Or, or or with elements from one chart and with elements from another chart together. And it lets you do that, but as a result. It does have this, like, it's like you, you know, you open up the box and it's just a bunch of Lego pieces. And the person sitting yeah. next to you says, oh, my God, look at that great castle. And you're like, what castle? It's just a box of Lego pieces. Whereas you look over on the left and you open up the box and it's like, a, you know, it's a high charts box. And you open it up and like, oh, look, there's a bar chart and there's a pie chart. And they've got tooltips. And you know, and it literally says right. bar chart. But well, isn't my data it true can- that it may even have been built on D3? Is the expectation... What I mean, not know, not like, uh, may. D- it, 99% of the time, you see any kind of charting library, it's running D3 under the hood. Like, it's impossible almost. If, if it's a JavaScript data visualization library, um, and it's a, like a higher level charting library, it is yeah. almost impossible in this day that it doesn't have D3 under the hood. It, it, at, sure. Holy... But at least in part, yeah. This is starting to
0: make a lot more sense. So D three is kind of (laughs) uh, web standards. People like to use the word primitives. These are kind of primitives in here, like for different kinds of
3: like draw this. Maybe even the
1: expectation is when you're using it that you're you're building an abstraction on top of D three.
3: So so D three has D three has this uh, different kinds of functions in it. There's the select functions which is the enter, exit, update functions. And I don't use that because what we use is we use React internally. And uh, React creates all of the elements. But there's other functions in the sort of D3 ecosystem. Um, There are generators for creating the drawing instructions for shapes. There are layouts for taking an array of data and positioning that data or otherwise decorating that data with drawing instructions. And then there are actual sort of... uh, a wide variety of other sort of helper functions like scales and axes and things like that, which either can can create like these interpolation ranges that you can then you know, place uh, points in scaled positions, or they actually do... Um, you can actually call a DOM element with them, and it will literally uh, uh, add the necessary graphical elements to that DOM element to create like an axis or a brushable region or something like that. So D3, you know, it's, it's, it covers a lot of ground. And I think one of the real challenges nowadays is that, um, is that you, you're not even necessarily going to use all of that in a modern uh, JavaScript application.
1: Well, one good thing to take away from that is that you don't you don't need to if you're necessary. There's some like DOM direct DOM touching stuff in D3. It looks like, and it looks like you that's kind of optional, and that at D3 will happily live in your React environment as well. So good to know there. I think we've had React or Netflix folks on before talking about React stuff. Netflix seems like pretty deeply into React land, which is cool. Uh, ben, you, you literally kind of had an idea that this D three is not hard to. What, what is it about D three you think is is up in your mind as far as like this isn't as hard as you think it is?
2: Um, so it's some of the stuff that Elijah sort of touched on. I feel like the the API for D three is uh, is very flat, right? So if you're in an editor that has auto completion and you do D three dot, you're going to get a super long list. Um, Mm. and if you go to like the API docs, you're going to see a super long list. And so it can be sort of intimidating from a first look. Um, but if you sort of get your head around selections and scales, which are these sort of two core concepts, everything else just sort of becomes a matter of learning the API, right. And not like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? Um, does seem
1: intimidating? <laughs> Axes, brushes, cords, dispatches, easings, fetches, forces. <laughs> like, I don't know well, any of that stuff.
2: Let's not get ahead of ourselves. So okay. let's start. Let's start with selections because uh, somebody drew the the comparison earlier of uh, jQuery and D3 selections are very much like jQuery, where you you know specify what you want to select. So yeah, it's query In selector, jQuery, you do. Yeah, right. And so in jQuery you do dollar sign and then your selector or whatever in native in the browser you have query selector and query selector all in D3 you just have d3.select and d all, which map directly to you know query selector and query selector all but they sort of construct the internal structure that D3 needs to do you know everything that comes after that. But so if you understand how to select items like that from jQuery, you're about 90% of the way there. D3 selections have a couple of other wrinkles to get your head around. Um, And then the other one is scales, which is just, you know, Elijah touched on a couple of different times. Um, It's just sort of the way that D3 has devised uh, to go from like the context that your data lives in to the context of your visualization. So the example I always use is test scores, right? So maybe you are gonna chart a bunch of test scores that fall somewhere between zero and 100, uh, but your chart is gonna be 800 pixels wide. So you want a score of 100 to, you know, correspond to an 800 pixel wide bar and a score of zero would be, you know, a zero width bar. So the way that you sort of set up that mapping in D three is by using a scale function. And there are various ways to scale things. The most uh, basic being, you know, just sort of a linear mapping or interpolation to create a a proportional value. So if you were mapping scores that go from zero to 100 to an 800 pixel wide chart, then, you know, a score of 50 is going to be 400 pixels, a score of, 75 is going to be 600 pixels. And so understanding that like all of the things that you build are sort of just built up pieces of, you know, sort of combining the right selections with the right scales, pulling the right uh, properties off of your data. And I mean, that's sort of it. There's definitely, you know, um, less common APIs, things like D3.py, and things like that, that Elijah mentioned, some of the other things around paths and, and other more complex layouts, you know, you get into a little more stuff. But for the basics, as long as you understand scales and selections, you can just sort of tinker and you know play with different APIs. And you'll know, as you're playing with all these examples that are available, it's like, oh, that bar, I want to change the color of that. Well, I'm probably looking for a color scale because I know that that's how... You set attributes, so I'm going to look for the color scale, and you know, then you can sort of. I feel like you can get a lot more mileage out of all the examples that are out there if you know those fundamentals.
1: That seems nice. So we,
2: so D3 is
1: so a flat API. I think that's kind of interesting, and that we the word atomic came up, and that it's all it's kind of broken down into small little pieces that you kind of stack together, the Lego bricks, as, the, as we also used as an example. Is does it? Does it behoove you to write your code in that way too? To you know, think about like, all right, I'm gonna I need a scale that maps this zero to one hundred situation to this zero eight hundred pixel situation. I'm gonna write a little function that handles that.
2: Uh, it doesn't and behoove then, you. You have to. You that's the only way that it works. When you're creating a D three chart, you have got to use scales because that's what D three uses to go from your data to your visualization.
1: And then when it does this work, like if you really are going to draw this, you know, map some test scores out on a chart somewhere, it ultimately it ends up probably as SVG, right? Do you have to tell it I want a rect in SVG or does it just kind of like be like, oh, I see they need a rect?
3: You're laughing, but right. literally, you have to tell it you need a rec. <laughs> you're laughing, like you're like, of course, you yeah. don't have to actually tell it you need a rec. But that is, and I mean, that's the challenge. Well, then, right? do Somebody I does.
1: have to make an SVG in the DOM that has all the recs ready to go, and then I select those recs and tell it how wide to be, or will it put the rect in the DOM for me?
3: No, it does. It does data binding, so it does the same thing that any sort of like uh, uh, you know DOM creation kind of library will do, where you pass an array of items to a selection. And you tell it, when there's more data than items, create a bunch of rects. When there's less data, when there's fewer data points than items, uh. then destroy some of them. But you have to tell it specifically. This is one of the things I always found really weird about um, D3 when I was working with React. Because like, working with React, React just says, okay, map Let's this a, array to items and just destroy them when they're not. Um, and yet, like if you ever want to do any animated transitions and stuff in React, you have to like... Like, all of the React animation libraries are like, you know, write-your-own-interpolator nonsense. Whereas in D3, all of the animation is really sort of dumb and and smart and works really... um, It's dumb in that you don't have to program anything, and smart in that, like, uh, it identifies that this shape probably wants to interpolate into this shape, or this color wants to interpolate into that color. But Mm -hmm. at the same time... um, when it comes to creating elements and destroying elements and updating elements, you have to be very specific in the enter, exit, update syntax on what it's supposed to do, what the keys are, and, uh, and when it's actually supposed to create things and destroy things.
1: That animation stuff is interesting, too, because we haven't really touched on that yet. Would you? So if you need things to move and interpolate and whatever, are you're cool in D3, like D3 handles that well, or do you need to layer on additional libraries? that? Like D3 has, has probably...
3: So D3's transition is super smart, and it's smart yeah. enough to recognize when you pass it an SVG path string that it's going to interpolate that path string as best it can. Um, it's mm-hmm. smart enough that if it's a number, it interpolates that number. It's got a lot of different easing and stuff like that. And um and it's just you know it's it's super straightforward. In fact, so I wrote a charting library called Semiotic that uses D3 and, and is a React-based charting library. We use it here internally at Netflix and uh and it's open source. Mm-hmm. And um, I have experimented with all of the different React animation, like virtual DOM animation things, and none of them are as performant as D3s. I'm going to reach into the DOM and just update this stuff transition. And so still under the hood, it uses um, D3 transition to, to manually like, grab the node, the, the actual graphical nodes, and, and um, animate them because everything that i found all of the react move and all of that stuff they work fine for like 12 or 20 or 50 elements but as soon as you get into a lot of elements which is you know it's just going to happen in some of the use cases for data visualization they get really slow and chunky and it just looks and it just looks uh cheap yeah you get a lot
2: of Really nice animation for free with D3. Um, if you were, it, like adding animation is generally just a matter of adding a call to dot transition on the code that's already sort of there to update the visualization. So if you had like a scatter plot that, you know, you were allowed to switch between subjects or whatever, and when you go from math to science, it goes from one set of bubbles to another. Well, by default, it's just going to go from one set of bubbles to another, you know, immediately switch. But if you just add dot transition and nothing else, D3 will interpolate that change over a, a default duration for you. And then, of course, you can specify duration and easing and all these things if you want to. But by default, you just add that. And then when you switch subjects, all your chart or all your bubbles on your chart just like smoothly animate to their new position. And that's it. And you're done. Hmm. So you do get a lot yeah, for free.
1: It's a nice API for that. Yeah. It's it's really nice. Hooks you up. Speaking of that, it's interesting how well it it works with React, or I'm sure, I'm sure it works with other front-end libraries as well. But there's there are so you've written one, Elijah, it sounds like. And I I was surprised to to find this was the case not long ago. I ran across some library called Nevo, I think, that was kind of a combination of of react and and d3 uh and then looked around and I was like oh my gosh there's this one called victory and this one called react viz and this one called recharts and then there's one that's just called react d3 and I was like wow apparently a lot of people have come to this conclusion that that react plus d3 is kind of a nice place to be and is it I wonder why that is one and and it, is it cuz of the like there's this connection between your data and the thing that it's supposed to draw or build, and in the world of react, there's kind of like props, so I can just be like, build this thing, and also here's all the data that you need to do it. It just is that like api wise it seems like oh that's nice
3: well yeah, I think that uh i mean I, I don't know about other other uh frameworks because i've only I've only worked with react, but I think that all of our applications are data visualization like when you have an array of data and you're showing a twitter card for each point in that array and that twitter card has you know these data-driven attributes here's the text and here's the icon and here's the whatever Mm -hmm. like that's data visualization right you're just showing um a series of of tweets as cards and so the same principles apply to like i have an array of numbers and i want to show or i had that same array and i just want to show it as a bar chart except i want to show like those tweets but i want to show uh, bars that show how many times they were favorited or retweeted and so i think the metaphor the the sort of design metaphor is the same but really what you're looking at when you see react plus d3 or victory or any of these things um there's only one library in there that I'm aware of. It's called VX. And it tries to actually be a sort of one-to-one correspondence with those atomic elements in D3 to react elements. And, um, After that, you're really looking at charting libraries. And these charting libraries are trying to, Uh, like, make some higher-level abstractions on top of D3. Um, And it depends on which library you go after. So, like, Semiotic, it has, like, a frame, and you give that frame settings, and it builds, like, a data visualization chart for you. Victory, on the other hand, is all about XML composition. So you grab, like, a, a chart, and then you drop an axis XML thing into it, and a data, you know, and some bars. And uh, depending on where you go, they have different metaphors for how you might deal with it. Because, you know, a lot of React is about, and I don't know why, because I kind of, I mean, I'm not a big fan of XML composition. A lot of folks like that, right? These, these um, decorating your, your React elements with, with XML sort of components that don't do anything, that just sort of have data and functionality. And so they're not really, it's not like they're actually translating D3 in that atomic sense into React. They're just using the D3 brand, right? They're just letting you know that under the hood, this uses D3, and everybody kind of knows that, well, that must mean it's really good data visualization, right? When in reality, it's like there is no other library you're going to be using. Yeah. Wow.
1: I love that. That's that's some <clears throat> high-quality behind-the-scenes stuff that we're after here on <laughs> Chop <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah and there are no alternatives for it we covered. I have that in my notes here cuz I'm like that's so funny that it's like
3: I mean there's there's P5 and P5 is cool. Um, yeah. but P5 is commonly used by um generative artists. Um it has a very different mm-hmm. community and it's not even that it's like optimized differently. It's just that really the community of practice around it and you know they're on a different coding train. You might yeah, think. that's that's it. And remember, like Bostock's, Bostock's background was he was getting a PhD with Jeff Hare at Stanford when he started to work on Protoviz, which was the which was the sort of the the V zero of D three. And so he was thinking about like information visualization principles, and he was thinking about it from this very classic business intelligence perspective. And D three reflects that. It's a really well designed API as far as like how it maps to fundamental principles of of like uh the visual display of information
1: and there's no is there any reason to avoid it it's not like a how big
3: is it (laughs) well it's it's a good way to put v4 they split it all into a bunch of little pieces that's why it's flattened too it didn't used to be flattened in v3 it's tree shakable it, it is tree shakeable, and it is, and it's, no, it's, it's like a lot of small pieces. I use frankly less and less D3 in my data visualization practice. You know, there's a lot of functions that are, that are in D3 that are, that, that are in ES 2015. There are a lot of, um, so, and so you don't need those anymore and frankly, you shouldn't use them anymore. Um, there's a lot of stuff that ever since we got into a point where we're transpiling our code that you don't need anymore, um, because a lot of D3, you know, it was trying to, trying to make sure there was browser compatibility. Like I said, Uh, the selection stuff, the, the DOM manipulation stuff, I don't, I think it's better to leave that to sort of a virtual DOM solution rather than have D3 do that. Um, and even some of the drawing stuff, some of the layout stuff, some of the scales are, are kind of, um redundant and not even necessarily that they're that they're um, too big but just that you know they're not really doing that much like they're you know some of these scales are just mapping ordinal positions to values and you're like well why wouldn't you just use a hash for that i think that one of the challenges i've seen with sort of d3 in the larger javascript community is i feel like a lot of d3 developers have stayed D3 developers, and they haven't become sort of JavaScript developers. Like, I run the D3.js Slack, and um, and there are people who are saying, what is this arrow function doing in this code over here? And you're like, come on, man, it's 2018. Like, yeah. it's an arrow function from ES2015. We, that's It's okay. And, you know, I think, I, I'm not sure, like, I've, I didn't get into jQuery, but I've heard this about, like, jQuery developers, that jQuery developers sort of became jQuery developers. And they didn't really follow. Like they didn't really pay attention to JavaScript.
1: It'll probably be true of everything. I mean, I, I would say it's, right. it's it's even more true of React right now that you learn that and then that's who
3: you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that definitely organizes my thoughts. Right, I sit here and think of JSX and and React sort of yeah. components as being as being. Everybody knows these. Let me just you know talk to you about the the life cycle of a React component. Right. Um, and but but i think with d3 because like even with react even with jquery you were still sort of there was still a larger community around you that was using other methods to approach it with the d3 community you've got this reinforcement because that's the only thing that anybody's using to do serious data visualization so it is kind sort of this weird state that i think um that I think has prevented cross-pollination. I think you don't see like really like sophisticated JavaScript developers going in and saying, "Well, how can I make D three style things better?" And then you also don't see really sophisticated you know D three developers going into like um, looking at other JavaScript libraries and talking about how to how to really um, transform them.
1: I feel like in some ways it, it could be worse. You know that the, even though there's one dominant library here, and it'd be better better perhaps if there was more alternatives. It's comforting to me, at least in some way, that D3 is like DOM-based and that you're selecting real elements and it's producing SVG. And like, But what if, you know, back whenever it decided to go a different place and D3 is just a Canvas-only library?
3: Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, that was, you know, Mike, Mike was really specific when D3 was first starting out that he said, look, I want this to be based on standards. I want this to be based on just plain JavaScript. I don't want this to... You know, at the time when D3 was really starting to become popular, its main competition was Raphael, and Raphael was trying to, you know, support... Um, What was it called? VML in Internet Explorer and just be compatible with everything and also make it, you know, like you were saying, like invent your own primitives, invent your own weird layer on top of things. Whereas D3 has always been super standards compliant and all of the even the functions in D3 that now are superseded by native ES 2015 functions and whatever else um you know those functions were given names and patterns that matched the expectation for how javascript would eventually support those things so it's you know that's that i think is a credit to it i i guess what i what i'm trying to say is i don't think like d3 took over because you know mike was an evil genius and he managed to take over the the field i think it was really well designed and it covered most of what anybody would want to do with data visualization. Now, that said, I think there's a challenge because, like, when you look at the work of somebody who's really sharp with SVG but doesn't come from this background with data visualization. So, if you look at like Sarah Sudan, uh, Sarah Drasner, they're doing very different things with SVG. They're using very different aspects, not, I mean, they're using some very different aspects of SVG that you never see in data visualization practice simply because they weren't part of like the vision for d3 and by this i mean stuff like you know with the view box with um animated icons with with a lot of so i think that there is room for for more cross-pollination and uh but i don't think like i don't think it's i think it was a natural um result of somebody who really did just make like an amazing library that was really well thought out
1: I think of you know if you're great at SVG somehow, I don't know if there's troves and troves of those developers sitting around, but there's some you know, are there's certainly people that, I'm more comfortable writing raw SVG than I am with D3 just because I've never really used D3 for anything. But I can imagine setting up an SVG that has some circles and rectangles and stuff, and I can visualize how the attributes need to go to be where they need to be and do what they need to do. And then I can imagine, you know, building an abstraction on top of that that's like, well, maybe I'll use Angular for this one and I'll map the attributes to a data source that way. And now, now I've built my own kind of little visualization thing that still uses SVG and it still uses real data and data bindings, but it's somehow somehow ignored D3 in the middle of that somewhere. And I wonder if that's for better or worse.
3: No, it totally is. I mean, I I do that all the time now where I just map, I mean, in my case, react elements, right. But I don't need a scale. I know what the size of the radius of the circles is going to be, or I know how to draw these rectangles. And so you don't have to pull in any functionality at all because, you know, that stuff's all straightforward. Um, I think that uh, you know what you're describing. Though it's funny because one of one aspect of what you're describing is one of those um, production modes that that you don't see with D3, which is uh, I'm going to go and draw something with SVG, like maybe in Illustrator or just in some other tool, and then I'm going to go into it and bind to it and adapt this this created thing, like. And, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is like hmm. you you could go have a chart that you div- that you drew in Illustrator and you could conceivably use D3 to select elements of it and modify the color and the position of elements in that chart. I like 30. that.
1: That appeals to me what you're describing. You
3: never right see there. any examples of that with D3 because it's just and it's not a technical issue. It's just not part of the sort of mental space for how D3 like D3 is is as far as how the community uses it it's defined as ben was pointing out by all of these examples that already exist and those examples just don't have blind spots and that's one of them like people have done it as a proof of concept i've shown it off in yeah, my just book it's not really common but,
1: but you can imagine yeah. like a little like a stick figure and like his eyeballs bulge out when certain data changes or something like that's easy enough to do you select the little eyeball elements and you make their radius based on some data
3: that's right. And, and, and simple things like that, you know, could lead to larger, more sophisticated methods. And unfortunately, because nobody's actually using that approach, we have no idea. Like all you can come up with is toy examples, because nobody's used that approach. In contrast, like you see the most absurd experiments with, you know, hierarchical charts, network charts, and so on, because those there are examples that and, and sort of a paved path and again, not technically, but like um, from a design process perspective, there's this there's this established space to experiment with that, and so we've gotten better and more complicated, more sophisticated with those approaches. Um, and that's you know it's it's surprising to me.
1: Well, just one thing is that a lot of this is so based on data, and that in order to play with this, the, the, the you're probably going to have the the most bang for your buck if you have some data to play with. So, what do you two recommend? um for getting your hands on some like interesting data to play with is that like a problem you find is there like a cool repo that's like here's some data
3: enjoy kaggle.com has has datasets and data.gov has all of these wonderful government data sets if you ever want to dig into them those are those are two different places you can you okay. can take a look and i'm sure ben has has more ideas
2: yeah I was gonna say the Star Wars api is always a a popular source i don't I don't know how suitable it is for database because it's pretty small but um and then I was trying to find it I can't find the link there's there's a site out there maybe some one of you you guys knows that allows you to sort of specify all the different fields you want and then you can say I want five hundred objects that have these fields and it'll just generate this randomized data for you um oh I'm going to have to look that up. I'll, I'll find the link and you can put it in the show notes.
1: Okay, cool. That'd be good. I, th- I just think there's people out there that are going to be like, I want to make sense of of a data set, but I don't have one.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> actually they- another, another good place I thought of is on the D3 examples, uh, on the D3 site, when you click through to the examples, they're on... This a site called Blocks, which I don't think we really talked about, but Blocks is essentially a site for D3 examples that are backed by GitHub gists. So you'll Mm -hmm. see like the output of the the visualization. I bet a lot of people
1: have landed on one at some point in their life. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So you can and a lot of those have data sets sort of statically right in there. They'll have like a data.csv that is part of the gist. And so you can grab things from there too.
1: All right, cool.
0: Mr. Dave. Yeah, well, thank you all so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. I My interest is very peaked here. I, I have lots of clients with lots of data. And so I'm now like, I'm going to uh, try to rip through some data sets. So uh, but before we go, uh, how can people find you on the internet and give
2: you money? We'll start with Ben. Yeah. So the easiest way to find me is at D three in five days.com. And if you add a slash shop talk, I've got a special URL for listeners there. Uh, both of the numbers are actual numbers. So just D three and five days.com slash shop talk. And then that'll get you five free lessons, one a day, uh, sort of introducing you to the basic core concepts of D three. And then after that you move to my, uh, weekly tips list where you just get a short tip once a week on you know how to do something in d3 wow
0: well,
3: thank you very much Ben. <laughs> and uh elijah how can people uh follow you and give you my i'm uh, i'm on twitter i think that's where i do the most of my sort of online interacting uh elijah underscore meeks and you know keep watching stranger things that's that's who pays my bills is netflix so <laughs> That's it. perfect. Uh, wonderful.
0: And uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast or your choice. Be sure to star heart, favorite it up. That's how uh, the data scientists get data about how to promote this in their algorithm. And um, if you want to follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month, uh, please do that. And if you um, hate your job, have com slash jobs get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you. There's probably even some data viz jobs there. And Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Mm-hmm. com.